Well, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Truckers Podcast. I'm your host, Doug, from Ontario, Canada. It is a, I guess it's 11, 12 p.m. on the 9th of September. Social issues facing Canada. Thank you for joining me. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, or good morning to you, depending on, I guess, depending where you are in the world. I'm your host, Doug, from Ontario, Canada. I hope everybody is having a good start to the weekend. It's going to be some pretty nice weather. This weekend. And that. So get out there. Enjoy it while we can. While we still have this nice weather. So I was going to. You know. Be out here earlier. And. um, Of course things change at the last minute. And. um, Being that. um, You know. For one. The Western Fair. Uh, back after two years, um, we weren't be able to have that because of the pandemic, and that. So I took my grandkids to the fair, and they had a lot of fun. I had fun. So this is a later show tonight. So um, yeah, um, I've been out every night this this entire week, which is unusual for me to do that um but i'm just you know just trying to do more shows as well um all the things that um go on in our lives Every day, the social issues, you know, not just facing um, Canadians, but everybody around the world and the complex social issues that we're facing today. And how it affects our lives. If you haven't joined me uh, on the last uh, couple nights on my show. Um, here in Canada, you know, we're, we're facing things, you know, and, and like everybody else too. Is the cost of living has jumped dramatically. Here in Canada, we're facing a, a health care crisis. 
and you know, and, and you put all these things together, you know, um, what is the government doing about it? What things can we do, you know, to help ourselves? You know, I was talking about, you know, you know, when kids, kids going back to school, you know, and, and, and the, the cost of everything going up and, and, and this, um, I was reading this story and, and this mother, she was out buying, you know, school supplies, you know, for her kids. And she came across the, the backpacks that kids need. Well, our, our, our gas is, uh, well, I mean, be to delivered from our homes. I mean, it's union gas. I mean, Canada has its, you know, its own gas, you know, um, our electricity, uh, of course, is produced right here in Ontario. You know, from Niagara Falls to the new to the uh, the Bruce Nuclear Plant up north of us. You know, so it's not just like you know. I mean, it's not just the the cost of food going up. I mean, everything, clothing, all these things. You know. So, like I said, I was reading this story and and this lady, she was talking about buying the school supplies for her kids to go back to school. She comes across the backpacks. $30 for for a backpack for kids to, you know, to carry their, their books to and from school. $30. You know, um... Yeah, yeah, in in, um, in England as well. I mean, I can imagine your gas prices um, in the United Kingdom. You know, um, it's crazy. It really is. And being, you know, our, our I mean, our healthcare um, is in crisis. as well you know and you, and you wouldn't think that would be happening happening in, in in a country like canada you know people waiting you know really long times for a bed um the government the ontario government just passed a a, a bill um for those you know moving patients who need extra care and and moving them more quickly into nursing homes, or at least trying to do that. And the nursing homes are full. Our hospitals are full. We have emergency departments closing for an extended amount of hours 
because they don't have the staff. You know, emergencies don't know time. They happen 24-7, 365 days a year. People who are getting the care in the hospitals, you know, they're, they're asked if they can, or even their family members, you know, they want them to choose, you know, five nursing homes. And if their first choice isn't available, they could be moved miles and miles away to another nursing home. And they even talked about charging patients who, who decide that they're not going to leave. Our long delays are, are, this is what's causing our problem here is the long delays. You know, last night I was talking about for non-emergency wait times in the emergency department is 20 plus hours for a non-emergency. And then I asked myself, why are people going to the emergency with non-emergencies? We have walk-in clinics. We have what you call telehealth, where you can call and talk to a professional and explain what is going on and they'll decide whether you need to go to the emergency department or not. It, you know, it, uh, and like you say, you know, with the long, the long delays due to the pandemic, I mean, that's, you know, happening here in Canada and throughout the course of the pandemic, it's really put a strain on the healthcare. There really has. Not just, you know, nurses and, and doctors coming down with COVID. You know, the, 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 the stress, the anxiety that the doctors and nurses have been going through. The burnout rate. We just now, the government of Ontario here in Canada, we just now, the government just now announced that they're going to, expedite nurses who come from other countries who've been a nurse in the countries where they came from and they come to Canada they're going to expedite their training in order to get them into the hospitals to start working because we don't have enough I read a story the other day, this gentleman, he's an indigenous gentleman. He is a survivor of the residential school system. Yeah, that's what's happening here too, the same thing. A lot of our nurses and staff have left as well due to the stress 
You know, people, uh, I mean, do people look at nurses as, 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 as some sort of, I don't know, special healers or something? They're, they're not magic. They don't have the magic potions. They're human beings. And the tireless job that they do day in and day out, always there for us when we need them. You know, we had protests during this pandemic around hospitals and these protesters harassing the nurses and other staff members, blocking emergency entrances. I mean, it was just ridiculous. And then never mind the truckers, pro, the, uh, the, the, the freedom truckers protest in Ottawa back in January, February, it just turned into a Karen carnival. And you're right, it is the lack of money from, for, uh, from government um, funding the health care. Right? We the people pay our taxes. It goes into our health care system. The federal government is not transferring enough money to the provinces as well. And that's the same as that we even have affordable housing crisis. It's gotten to the point that people just can't afford the rent. And I talked about the homelessness. And it's just not the homeless people that you see. It's the hidden homeless that you don't see. People who are living with other relatives, friends, they're couch surfing. They live out of the cars, but they have a job. They can't afford the rent. Fifty thousand hidden homeless people in Canada, fifty thousand on any given night. And never mind the visible homeless that we see. This is ridiculous and it shouldn't be happening. And on top of that, interest rates going up, inflation is going up. Just in the past, I think it's been like in the past like three years that the minimum wage start to go up. Here in Ontario, Canada, here in Ontario, Canada, the minimum wage is $16.75 an hour. And it varies all across Canada. They talk about a livable wage. 
and that'll vary across the provinces and cities. Vancouver, BC, you know, being the the most expensive city to live in. And then you have Toronto, and then you have Montreal. A living wage what would be acceptable in Vancouver would probably be $25 an hour minimum wage. And it's somewhere around, well, like 17, like $17 an hour. Well, the same thing here in Canada too, you know, with, um, even with the war in, in, in the, uh, Ukraine, you know, people fleeing that country and going to, uh, other parts of Europe and coming to the United States and coming to Canada. And basically that's where they end up is in a hotel. I mean, if we're having difficulties with affordable housing and the lack of housing, how can we possibly help these other people when we're having trouble helping ourselves? You know, it's they started this this ten year plan. They started this ten year plan three years ago. Two years ago, twenty twenty twenty. The short they should have started this plan ten years ago about building more affordable housing. And when it comes to minimum wage, even like the, uh, the metropolitan Toronto, Ontario, I mean, that should be at least $22 an hour. Montreal, probably around the same. $16.75 an hour doesn't cut it. But of course, when wages go up, then the cost of everything starts to go up. People have to charge more. It's like, you know, you know, now a restaurant has to pay, you know, their employees $20 an hour. Well, they have to get the money from somewhere. So they have to add that cost to the menu. And look, You know, I don't mind paying a little extra. I really don't going to a restaurant. You know, this is one of the hardest hit during the the pandemic. Non-essential businesses closed. Well, places like Walmart, Costco, 
we're reaping in the, the, the benefits. And non-essential businesses had to close their doors. People left the industry, the restaurant industry. People left it. They just couldn't take it anymore. Being, being shut out of a job. Yes, places are, are, are paying more than sixteen seventy five an hour. That's just the minimum wage that a business has to pay. And restaurants now are paying $19, $20 an hour. You know, plus your tips. But with everything going up, in, in, in price, even people making nineteen twenty dollars an hour, it's really not making a difference. Costs more to drive your car because of gas. Costs more for certain things at the grocery store. People are struggling just to put the basic things on their table so their family can eat. These sort of things shouldn't be happening, you know, in countries like Canada, in the United States, the United Kingdom. None of this should be happening. You have an energy crisis in the United Kingdom. None of that should be happening. Hardworking people paying their taxes. And we sometimes think, what is the government doing with our money? You know, throughout the pandemic, you know, the Canadian government, you know, they did um, um, help, you know, people uh, for those who were laid off because of the pandemic and people who, you know, in the non-essential workforce, you know, giving, giving the people, you know, $2,000 a month, but then, I, you know, I talk about, you know, I talked about, uh, last night too, um, people on social assistance and disability. I mean, they're two different things. So disability is, is, is a, is a monies that you get because you have a mental illness. Um, you have other physical disabilities that prevents you from working. And then there's welfare. It, I mean, it was never, it was never meant to be an occupation. 
to not go to work. Oh, the government's just giving me money. I don't have to go to work. And the problem was that went on for decades. You would get welfare until your children were the age of 18. But long before their kids would hit the the age of 18, they'd have another baby. There was a lot of people who just didn't want to work. And I'm talking about the able bodies. Now the government has put in a lot of social programs to help people move off the system and into gainful employment. Now, it, I mean, people, people on minimum wage, you know, they generally live paycheck to paycheck. You know, this, you know, the United Kingdom's not alone when it comes to businesses that had to close their doors. We lost something like 20,000 restaurants and other small businesses. You know, so with the, with the welfare, you know, with all the social programs now that the government has implemented, to help people move forward. You just can't simply get welfare and just live on it. Now it's called workfare. And you have, and if you, you know, like I say, you know, people, the minimum ways they live paycheck to paycheck, if they lose their job, then they're going to have to turn to social assistance. And then you're enrolled in all these other social programs to help you gain employment again. Even if it's, you know, uh, skills training for, for a skilled job. They're going to help you every step of the way. For everyone who is an able body that can work. And this program started, oh, it's got to be like 10 years ago. not like before where people just go on social assistance and well, that's it. But the, the homelessness, you know, the visible homeless people, mental illness, drug addiction, 
other social issues. You know, is is really complex. It, it really is. Housing first is the first model. But it's taken them this long to figure that out. And then we have to put all the supports in place to help people transition from the streets into a safe place. But we're dealing with people who have alcohol and drug addictions and a mental illness and both at the same time. Very challenging, it's very complex. The federal government, the provincial governments, social agencies you know spending and now just starting to spend on this issue. And when it comes to our healthcare, we are in this healthcare crisis, not just the pandemic. This has been, this, it it goes back years. It goes back decades. It's all of the the cuts they made to the healthcare. And of course we didn't see the pandemic coming and that just made things worse. When you have emergency departments closing overnight, because they don't have the staff. That's a serious issue. Small towns. And they already have to, you know, now they have to travel to the major cities. And like I said, for nine emergencies, it's a 20 hour wait in the emergency department. It could be days or weeks even before you get a bed. The provincial government now is is, Saying, yep, we're we're getting more bids, we're spending the money. You know, I'm I'm on I'm on the back end of the baby boomers. The baby boomer era ended in 1964. I was born in 63. 
if we don't fix this now, what is it going to be like for me? What's it going to be like for my kids, my grandchildren, if we don't fix this now? And we de- and we do need more transfer payments from the federal government. And it has to be, they, they were talking, it has to be 33% to 35%. The federal government is only, the transfer payments is only at 22%. And this money is going out to the provinces across Canada. And here in Ontario, Canada, we're the largest province in the country. We have 18 million people living in the province of Ontario. And the population of Canada is 38 million. And when I and when I you know, when I hear about things like um, like I, earlier I was talking about this gentleman, he needs he needs to go to a nursing home. Now he is a residential school survivor. If you don't know what the rent, residential school is. It started back in the mid-1800s with the first Prime Minister of Canada. And what it was is that they took indigenous children from their parents, moved them hundreds of miles away, Stripped them from their heritage, their language, their culture. A lot endured physical, mental, sexual abuse. You know, he... So what, so he's afraid now because he's afraid he's going to be moved far away like he was when he was a child, when he was taken and put into a residential school. It would be a full circle for him. Look up the residential school system, Canada. And it'll tell you everything that you need to know. And you probably know um, that the Pope was in Canada back in July. And this is about reconciliation. And an apology from the Catholic Church. And it wasn't just the Catholic Church running these residential schools. It was the United Church. It was the Presbyterian Church and other Christian groups. 
from the mid-1800s to when the last residential school closed in 1996. They have a lot of social issues. Very little, very little support. Problems with drugs and alcohol. Poverty, you know, the condition of a person who is deprived of the resources means choices and power necessary to acquire and maintain a basic level of living standards and to facilitate integration and participation in society. In 2018, 3.2 million Canadians or 8.7% of the population lived in poverty. 2018. Canadians in deep poverty. 1.7 million Canadians or 4.6 of the total population lived in deep poverty, having disposable income below 75% of Canada's official poverty line. The official poverty line would be about 15,000 a year. How can this be happening in a country like Canada? Poverty affects community strength and resilience. People living in poverty are more likely to face health issues, have difficulty finding and keeping a job, find themselves in the criminal justice system, and need various social supports. And identifying all the social costs of poverty is notoriously tricky. The impact is spread across our criminal justice, health, social support systems and every level of government. It's a strain, it's, it, it's a crisis is what it is. You know, going back to 2008, Feed Ontario, the Ontario Associ- uh, the Association of Food Banks, attempted to estimate the poverty co- uh, cost here in Ontario. They estimated the social cost for the province at 10.4 to 13.1 billion per year. The estimated cost of families unable to participate in the economy an additional 32 to 38 billion just for the province of Ontario. What is that now? That was 2008. This is 2022. 
family violence. That happens everywhere. The violence describes any form of abuse, mistreatment, or neglect that a child or an adult experiences from a family member or from someone with whom they have an intimate relationship with. In 2016, 26% of all victims of violent crime had been victimized by a family member. Female victims of family violence. While women and girls made up just over half, 52% of violent crimes victims overall, two-thirds at 67% of the family violent victims were female. Now add, add the pandemic to that when we had the stay-at-home orders, closing on non-essential businesses, shuttering schools. The fear that the women and children would be living in. You know, 70% of victims of spousal violence indicated they never reported the event to police. 93% of the victims of childhood physical and or sexual abuse indicated they never reported the evidence, the event to police. And what this does, family violence can cause a range of short and long-term health issues, including, including physical, mental, cognitive, and behavioral challenges that can contribute to poverty, housing instability, and school failure. But individuals who experience these conditions are also at greater risk of intimate violence. And beyond the personal costs, family violence has implications for our health and justice system, employers, businesses, as well as social and community service, like poverty, the total cost is difficult to calculate. I mean, this is like over 10 billion a year. Look what we went through. We're, you know, through this pandemic, I mean, we're coming into the fall. We're going to be coming into the winter. People are going to be moving indoors. Are we going to have more cases of COVID? It's called, it's caused a lot of stress, 
a lot of anxiety. Which leads to, to mental health issues and even, and even potentially addictions. In any year, it's thought that 20% of Canadians experience a mental illness or an addiction problem. 50% by the the time Canadians reach 40 years of age, 50% have or have had a mental illness. The mental illness is also a leading cause of disability in Canada. The estimate cost of mental illness to the Canadian economy. This was back. They did this back like 2011. Now think about this. 42.3 billion in 2011. And the, and the report cautions that the estimate was low. And additionally, the study didn't include the cost to the justice system, social services, and educational systems, cost for child and youth services, and other costs. This could be mounted to Well, we could double that, 84 billion and higher. This is 2022. Still going on today, and this has been going on forever. And, and we just can't find a way of how we can curve it how we can stop it, whatever we can do, racism. Racism is the belief that a particular race is superior or inferior to another and based on that activity or passively supports discrimination, prejudice, and violence against another person. Hate crimes motivated by anthemicity. And it's really it's really troubling, you know, that we still have racism. Back when I was a kid, all I all I knew, you know, if it if, if it, it was, you know, racism against blacks. Now, is anybody 
who comes from, you know, the, 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 the Middle East. As though they're all terrorists. A certain group does something, then everybody is marked. It's unbelievable. You know, it just it's just unbelievable. In twenty eighteen Police reported 1,798 criminal incidents in Canada motivated by hate, which is not exclusive to racism as with other topics as comparison to 2014's the General Social Survey on, on, on Canadian safety. Self-reported self over 330,000 hate-motivated criminal incidents in the year leading up to that survey. And two-thirds of these incidents were never reported to the police. Racism, racism has a clear and sometimes deadly consequences for Canadians. It's also cost to our justice system and hinders our economy and exacerbates poverty. Racialized Canadians earn on the average 81 cents to the dollar compared to other Canadians. Employers are also about 40% more likely to interview a job applicant with an English sounding name despite identical education skills and experiences. And these impacts become more significant when race intersects with other targeted identities, such as gender and sexual orientation. <clears throat> that's, you know, that's alarming. It really is. You know, it's not just Canada. United States, the United Kingdom. Other democratic countries. You know, um, I mean, I, I, I just, I just can't wrap my head around it. You know, it's disturbing that racism here in the 21st century And it will go beyond if we can't come up with real solutions.
to curb it. We'll probably never, ever be able to stamp it out. Which is really too bad. Unbelievable. You know, social exclusion. Social exclusion, exclusion is a denial of belonging or recognition. The intent to keep people and communities distance from centers of power and resources. It leaves people economically and social, socially vulnerable. And why does this matter? Social exclusion is usually driven by greed and prejudice, excluding others. Others ensure your group has access to more of the resources you want with, with limited competition. A social understanding of exclusion is relatively new and we lack statistical data, but Canadians are becoming more aware of it. Racism can be the basis for social exclusion. And the anti-racism protest in 2020 called for changes to policy and disappointedly disadvantaged people of color. And especially related to the justice system, the policies they pointed out are a form of social exclusion. And even could even could that even be potentially even adding in the indigenous people of Canada? It always seems to me they get less resources than the white man. Less social programs, less treatment or treatments. Living on reserves and not even be able to have safe drinking water. You know, Canada has the most um, fresh water lakes, rivers, and, tr- and, and streams than any place on this planet. And yet we can't deliver this one essential necessary vital commodity of safe drinking water to these communities that's really sad discrimination racism of the indigenous people of Canada.
And it all started back in the mid-1800s. Sir A. Macdonald, the first Prime Minister of Canada, he was the pioneer of the residential school system. And to take and remove, to remove these children from their communities hundreds of miles away to strip them of their, their, their culture, their heritage, their language. To live like a white man. If you have time, go on the internet and, and, and search res, and, and research residential schools Canada. It is just unbelievable. And the other thing about that too, ladies and gentlemen, we, we never learned about that in school. It's not even in our history books. Things slowly, slowly, slowly came about. People talking about it. People who lived through it. Back even before there was internet, you know, I remember watching the news and the Prime Minister of Canada would be apologizing to the indigenous people about the residential school system. And there was no way to find out what it was because there was no internet and it's not in our history books. And you're thinking to yourself, what the hell is a, rental, a residential school? What does the government talk about? What are the indigenous people of Canada talking about? Well, I sure in the hell know what it is now. They are finding graves where these residential schools once stood. And these graves are, are those children who never made it home. Parents never ever knew what happened to them. Racism for sure. Sir Ray MacDonald, the first Prime Minister of Canada, in his own words, called them savages. 
even though an Indian can learn to read and write, they're still a savage. That was the words of the first prime minister of this country, Sir A. MacDonald. You know, and to know that, you know, now, you know, um, the last residential school closing in, nine, in 1996. How in the hell were these residential schools were able to still carry on that long from the mid-1800s? Government knew they existed. But the other problem is, ladies and gentlemen, the survivors of those schools in the 1900s, nobody believed them. I don't know whether they believe it or not, or they, they just, you know, the government just wanted to sweep it under the rug so. You know, this is a black eye in our country. We don't want to let this out. You know, and, and the Pope coming to Canada just this past July for the reconciliation and to apologize. to the residential school survivors. It's just the beginning of reconciliation. It's only just scratching the surface. We have a long ways to go on racism all over the world. There's a lot of social issues going on, a lot of social problems. It's a topic that we should always be talking about. Our social issues, whatever they may be in your country, in your community, Talk about it with your friends. Talk about, you know, with your neighbors, your co-workers, your family. Take a look around you at what's going on.
you know, we need, you know, to talk about it, to come up with ideas and solutions to our social problems. And everything I just mentioned here tonight And it's pretty alarming what I talked about too. And that's not just, that's not just here in Canada. That's everywhere. So I want to thank you for joining me this evening, ladies and gentlemen. Want you to have an enjoyable weekend, a safe weekend. So we can go out and do the things that we love to do with our friends and our families. And we will meet again. I was thinking about doing a show in the morning, but this is a late show tonight. So I will do a show tomorrow night. I'm going to do it earlier in the evening. I understand, um, you know, I mean, everybody listening from all different parts of the world. And I understand, um, and, um, Anna, um, Anna, I, uh, I've taken it that you are from uh, the United Kingdom. So, I mean, it's getting to be early morning for you. So um, I generally, for an evening show, you know, it's between 8 and 9 o'clock, but I can, you know, 8 8 p.m. is good. Um, Like me and the rest of you, I mean, um, weekends are when I need to get things done, you know, because... During the week, it's it, it's hard, you know, when you when you're working, in that so. Bunch of things to do, on, on, on Saturday and Sunday. You know, I I try to get most of my stuff done on Saturday. So so Sunday, so I can just say, okay, just you know, take it easy. Today, back to work on Monday. You know, so. Um, 8 p.m. tomorrow night. And, um, yeah, there's plenty, you know, there's plenty to talk about. And, of course, I know you, you all know Queen Elizabeth II of her passing. And my condolences goes out to the families. And that, and in my lifetime, it's the only queen that I have never, ever known. And growing up and, you know, going to grade school, not only did we sing O Canada, before class started, we also sang God Save the Queen.
that doesn't happen today. They sing O Canada in the classroom and they don't even recite the Lord's Prayer. How times, how times have changed. So have a good night, ladies and gentlemen, and enjoy your weekend. And I will be back out here tomorrow, tomorrow night. It is now, well, it is the, uh, is it the 10th already? Yeah, it's 12, it's 1221 AM here in Southern Ontario, Canada. So I guess tonight at 8 PM. Eastern Standard Time. I'll come out here and if you can enjoy me, if you can join me, that's great. If you can't, I understand. But I thank you for taking the time out, coming on my show and listening. I appreciate all of you. And thank you. I'm your host, Doug, from Ontario, Canada. Good night, everybody. And thank you.